One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen, who were washing their nets. He got into the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. I haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at uh, Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats upon the shore, left everything, and followed him. Adrian, as you're coming up, let me just pray for you. Heavenly Father, pray uh, that you would bless to us now your word uh, as Adrian helps us to open it up. By your spirit, be at work in our minds and hearts. Um, Father, speak through him and through the preparation that he's put in this week, we pray. Amen. Uh, good afternoon everyone, uh, good to see you all, thanks for being here uh, and welcome if you are uh, visiting us today, it's really good to have you with us. Uh, we are continuing our series in Luke, please have the Bible open there so you can follow along uh, in the passage. Um, Peter, thank you for praying, uh, it's just really important isn't it, as we come to God's where we come expecting to hear from him, expecting him to speak, so that's, uh, that, that's, the, that's the, our desire as we come to his words. But let me start with a question, what does it take to be a disciple of Jesus? What's he looking for in his followers? And does it have anything to do with fishing? That's what we're going to be thinking about today uh, as we continue this, this series, as we come to, to chapter 5 uh, of Luke's Gospel. What we've seen so far is how Jesus has been travelling around his local area, he's been healing people, he's been teaching the good news, and all things considered, it's going really well. He's popular. People are coming from all around, uh, crowding, crowding around him to, to hear what he's saying, to see what he's doing, to experience perhaps healing for themselves uh, and all the amazing things that, that he was doing. And actually last week, Wayne spoke about how we see the mission of Jesus being revealed even in these early chapters. And that connects into our passage today because what we see is Jesus calling his first disciples, the people that he's going to share that mission with. But it does raise a question, doesn't it? We use the word disciple a lot. Uh, it's there in our kind of key phrase of the church, uh, making disciples as disciples. But what is a disciple? What does the word actually mean? Just take one minute to chat to the person next to you, if there's someone sitting next to you. Explain to them what does it mean to be a disciple? Can you explain it quickly?
Okay, I don't know how far you've got. Let me give you a suggestion uh, that I found here uh, in the dictionary. Uh, discipleship is the process of devoting oneself to a teacher to learn from and become more like them. I thought that's quite just a quite simple way to put it, perhaps. So when we're talking about disciples in church, we're talking about someone devoted to Jesus, someone learning from him, someone living to become more like him, of course, doing that with his help. Now, Jesus had a lot of disciples, he had lots of followers, but he called 12 in particular to be his kind of closest followers, the people, his best friends, the people who traveled with him everywhere, lived with him for the three or so years before his death. And they were the ones that became known as the apostles. Uh, after Jesus rose, after Jesus went back into heaven, uh, they became the leaders of the early church. And they were used by God in incredible ways, mightily used. The Holy Spirit uh, enabled them to do amazing miracles and, of course, to proclaim the truth about Jesus really boldly and clearly. Uh, because they were eyewitnesses, they had seen right from the start who Jesus was, what he had come to do. And we're reading the account from Luke. I have no doubt he would have been speaking to some of the apostles as he was writing his uh, account here, learning what they had seen, what they had heard. So we turn to chapter 5 and we get, you know, at first glance it seems like quite a simple story, doesn't it, about an amazing, miraculous catch of fish. And it is amazing. But I want to try and dig a bit deeper and what I want us to see today is some of the the reasons, I think, Peter, that that Jesus seeks Peter out and the others there. what, does, what is there? What are the sort of, you know, the, the little sparks in their character that, that Jesus perhaps recognises to some extent? What does it help us understand about what it means to be a disciple? Well, let me suggest three things that the passage draws out. To be Jesus' disciples, firstly, we must obey his commands. We must obey his commands. Go to verse 1 and we see Jesus by the lake of Gennesaret. That's the Sea of Galilee, uh, I used to love looking up the maps in the back of the Bible and that sort of thing. It's the sort of big body of water towards the top of Israel uh, and a very you know, key fishing location in the lands. And the crowds were there. Uh, you see what it says? They were crowding around him. The other translations say they were pressing in. That's how kind of cra- cramped it was. Maybe you've been in that kind of crowd before where you can't really sort of move very much and people are all around you. And they're listening to what Jesus is saying. But clearly it was perhaps difficult to, to, to know what to sort of speak in that situation with so many people around him. And Jesus has this solution. It's quite a simple thing, but right, here's a boat. Let's get out. We'll, we'll pull it back a little bit and I can preach from there. Uh, no one's coming into the water. They don't want to get their feet wet. It's just sort of a, a logical solution, I guess. Uh, and so that's what Jesus does. He borrows a boat and he preaches from there to the crowd on the shore. But really, what, what happens next is the, the significant thing. Notice who's there as well. Uh, it says in verse 2, doesn't it, they were left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, I find that a weird idea. They're in the water, right? They're, they're, being, they're, they're wet all the time. Why would you wash the, the nets that have just come out of the water? Well, apparently, they were made of linen and it had to be cleaned. It had to be dried out carefully. Otherwise, it would rot and wear out and kind of not be very useful. So, you know, they've been out all night, they're tired, their job's not over. They've got to come on shore, wash all their nets before they pack up and go home. But Jesus, as he finishes teaching, see what he says in verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water 
and let down the nets for a catch. Now imagine for a second, I come to your place of work tomorrow uh, and told you to do something. Uh, I don't know, um, imagine, John, I came into, the, came into the office and tried to suggest some sort of lawyery thing that you, you must do it, you must do it this way, you, this is the correct way to do it, you'd laugh me out of the room, right? I, would have, I mean, I don't even know what the correct terms are, it would be laughable. Or imagine you're a teacher, if, if you're in a classroom tomorrow, and I walk in and I tell the teacher, stop, you need to teach this way, this is what you're supposed to be doing. I would be told to leave pretty quick. And yet here is Jesus, the carpenter's son, that, you know, fair enough, he might have something to say if you've got a woodwork project. He's telling the fishermen what to do, the ones with all the experience, saying, right, now's the time to go and do some fishing. And they were exhausted, they'd been out all night. They'd not caught any fish. Uh, from what I understand, daylight would mean it's far less likely to, to get a good catch. They probably all they wanted to do was go home to bed, get a bit of rest. But actually, Peter's response is good, isn't it? <clears throat> Verse 5. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night, and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. It's almost like he's saying, look, professionally, my expert opinion, there's no chance right now of there being any fish out there. You know, we've, just, we've just been, there's nothing there. But actually, there's something about Jesus. Jesus, I've seen who you are, I've heard what you've got to say. You're telling me to do this, so I'm going to do it. And he obeys without hesitation. And sure enough, it's this amazing moment, isn't it? That as Jesus knew the fish are there, and there's this huge number, the nets kind of break as they're trying to pull them all onto the boat. And the boats become so full, they're kind of at the point of sinking. Whenever I was little, I was imagining kind of like little rubber dinghies, you know, with just about enough space for one fisherman and kind of just piling it high. But they were a lot bigger than that. Here's a little artistic impression of what a typical boat of the time probably looked like. You'd fit four or five men on easily. So imagine two of those just full of fish. That's a lot of fish. <laughs> Certainly not a typical day uh, on the water. So Simon Peter obeys Jesus. Even if, you know, he mentions, no, I'm not sure myself whether this is going to happen. But he obeys and he's blessed. And there's a principle there for us, isn't there? That obeying Jesus means trusting him more than we trust ourselves. Trusting that he knows what's best for us. Trusting that that is where blessing is found if we, if we obey him and do what he says. Even when maybe the world tells us to do something different. Or, or even when it feels... Like, we, sh we shouldn't be obeying what his word says for whatever reason. We can trust that it's for our good and we can obey. So we obey. Secondly, to be Jesus' disciples, we must come humbly and honestly. So this amazing catch of fish has happened. The boats are full. Clearly there's something extraordinary here. This is, clearly there's something supernatural. This is God-given. So is it any surprise that Peter kind of immediately responds to see what he does in verse 8 when simon peter saw this he fell at jesus knees and said go away from me lord i am a sinful man imagine turning up at a wedding in dirty old clothes that you normally use for painting you know those old raggedy ones that got holes in they're kind of splattered with stuff from all the different if you've ever painted a room and that sort of thing you'd feel out of place wouldn't you pretty quickly in a room of smartly dressed and well-dressed well people. 
you think, I'm not sure I should be here. I'm going to probably sneak out and maybe go and, go and get a shower. That's maybe just slightly similar to how Peter felt at that moment. He'd been fishing a long time here and he'd never seen a catch of fish like this. Only someone holy, only someone close to God could do something like this. And he's fully aware that he is nothing, anything but that. And he falls at Jesus' knees. That's a, a great position to be, isn't it? He knows he's got the authority. He knows his own position. He falls at Jesus' knees. He humbles himself before Jesus. And then it's just like, just go away from me, Lord. He's so amazed at God's work. He, he's got this huge sense of unworthiness that, that he doesn't deserve to receive this kindness. It's like, you can't be near me. I'm a sinful man. He's aware, isn't he, that Jesus knows his heart, knows how sinful it is. In some sense, he's exposed him. And he's just thinking, how could, how could Jesus stay around me after everything that I've done? I wonder if you can empathise with that, if you can understand uh, Peter's perspective. Maybe you've been in that situation yourself and you've become aware of God's love and kindness and generosity. And you just feel like saying, no, it, it can't be like that for me. Surely not. I don't deserve this. I deserve to be left alone by God. I deserve him to be far off. It doesn't feel fair. It doesn't make sense. We feel, don't we, that kind of deep unworthiness that, that Jesus could ever become close to us. But actually what we need to realise, Peter will come to realise this, is that actually it's that attitude is exactly what God is looking for. That's the attitude he can work with. It's his example here of humility, of, of, of honesty, just being open that, that he is sin, sinful, recognising that. It's the starting point of faith, it's the starting point of discipleship. When we see the, the, the holy purity of God, the, the, how perfect he is, and we see that in his son Jesus, surely it must humble us, shouldn't it? Surely it should force us to our knees and say, go away, Lord, I'm sinful. I don't deserve this. We need to come to that point where we genuinely accept that actually our sin affects every part of our lives. We've got no hope of changing that, that we are sinful. And it's that moment when we realise that, that's what God's looking for. That confession of sin, that, 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 that recognition, that's the moment we become accepted by God and forgiven by him as we trust the gospel. And that's why Jesus came. And that's why he could say in verse 10 to Peter, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He had come to save people like Peter who, who needed rescuing from their wrongdoing. Jesus came to lay down his life on the cross to, to pay for that sin to remove it from Peter to remove it from us so we can be forgiven we can be loved and blessed these great verses from Matthew 11 help us I think come to me this is Jesus speaking all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for yourselves my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Peter was aware of the burden of his sin. But Jesus doesn't say, look, go away, get that sorted out, and then maybe you can kind of come and follow me and, and be with me. That's not what he says, is it? He says, he welcomes Peter with the burden. and says, look, I'm the one who can provide rest and forgiveness, even in that moment. 
And that is the invitation we have today too. To come with our burdens, to come recognising our sin and then finding rest in the, one, the only one who can save us. We find that grace, we find that favour when we actually accept we've got nothing to bring to the table. When we come with nothing heavy, weighed down by our sin and we find rest in Jesus because he takes it away for us. I found this quote as I was preparing, I thought it was helpful. It's the most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity that we are declared right with God not once we begin to get our act together but once we collapse into honest acknowledgement that we never will. And once we've grasped that, that amazing reality that, that actually it's all of him. It's not about us. But we don't get our life sorted out and then Jesus loves us. He loves us first and he changes us. If we grasp that reality, if we start to understand that, then what happens? Well, we see thirdly, to be Jesus' disciples, we must treasure him above all else. Look at verse 10 with me again. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. They've just caught this humongous amount of fish. You think, you know, this, that's incredible. They've been provided for. Surely they will go and sell it on. Maybe enjoy the proceeds. Take a few days off. But they're so amazed and staggered at Jesus' actions and his words you see what it says? They drag the boats up on shore, leave everything behind, and follow Jesus. Now, it always leaves a question in mind. I always think, well, surely they didn't just immediately go. Surely they didn't just leave everything then and there. Surely they say goodbye to people and put their affairs in order. And we can't be certain from the passage. Maybe there was, there was some sort of passing on of, of the boats and things. They do seem to have access to boats later on in the gospel when, uh, when they're waiting or when they meet Jesus again. But the way it's written, it suggests that it was quick, doesn't it? That it was committed. They, they met this man who was like no other. No one else had ever met. So who cares about the fish? Who cares about the boats? I want to follow this man. It's worth the cost to, 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 to know him and to follow him. And they were right, weren't they? They went on to witness amazing miracles and incredible teaching. And fundamentally, they were the primary witnesses to his death and resurrection this world changing events that happens and they came to realise that their sins had been forgiven, that they belonged to God that they could look forward to spending eternity with him and it changed everything but even in this moment they start realising there's something so amazing about this man, we will leave everything else behind, they treasure Christ above all else that's really challenging isn't it uh, I wonder if you would have done what Peter did in that moment. I'm so aware of my own heart. I'm aware of the things that I can treasure too much. Things that might cause me to hesitate in that moment. My family, relationships, the, my home, my belongings, my finances. God has given us many good things, hasn't he? And they are things, if we're not careful, that can become too important to us. And we hold on to them too tightly and they've slowly replaced the place of Jesus in our hearts and become kind of more important I wonder if there's anything in particular that maybe God's just poking you to think about now what's going on inside when we, when we start thinking like that when we start thinking basically we're thinking aren't we that in some sense this other thing is giving us a security or giving us something 
that Jesus can't. Or we're not, we, we're not quite sure if Jesus can do that. Saying, so I'm not sure that following Jesus is going to be as good for me as this thing or that thing. And that is the attitude of our sinful hearts. That's, that's what happens when we, we lose sight of Jesus. We try and do things in our own strength. We think we know better. We need to come humbly and honestly, don't we? Recognising those attitudes. That actually, in our own strength, we need to well, ask for Jesus' help to let go of those things that we hold on to in our own strength. He calls his disciples to leave everything and follow him. Because he knew that actually he was all they would ever need. And that's true for us today as well. We need to pray for his help to let go of things that we hold on to too tightly. Treasuring him above all else. Being ready to make sacrifices if he calls us to do that. Now to be clear, I'm not saying that we have to give up our jobs uh, like Peter did in that moment. He's not, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't call everyone to, you know, uh, to leave everything behind in that way. But actually, like we've been thinking about in our home groups, thinking about where God places us, that's where we are to serve him. That, that, that's where we honour him. Whatever we do day to day, we, we have a, a part to play in that. And actually, we see that, don't we? Just, just a hint of that in the passage too. Uh, let's think for a few minutes about the mission that Jesus calls Peter and the others to. It's a new mission, isn't it? Do you see what he says in verse 10? Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. You will fish for people. Now, at first glance, that is a bit of a strange analogy, isn't it? Because Peter's a fisherman. I'm sure he understood the concept. But he catches fish for people to eat. <laughs> the fish who are caught in a net like that, they're not kind of being rescued. They're someone's dinner. That's, not, that's clearly not what Jesus is meaning. And actually, the Greek word that Luke uses, it has the sense of being caught alive. So, I don't know, today, imagine a tanker ship crashing, uh, and oil and other chemicals start sort of leaching out into the sea. And there's this sort of cloud of danger approaching. And if you're a fish in that moment, it would be a good thing to be caught by someone and maybe taken off somewhere else to safety. And that's the kind of sense that Jesus is calling his disciples to be fishers of people. In a sense of rescue, in a sense of bringing people to safety, of showing them a way of life rather than a way of death. And we'll go through the gospel, we'll see these things in the years ahead. We're only looking at the first few chapters of Luke, we'll be coming back to it in future terms as we go this, but we'll see the disciples learning from Jesus, learning as they walk with him through these years leading up to his death. But it really is transformative, isn't it? Jesus dies on the cross, that changes everything, but then changes everything again by rising from the dead and giving his disciples such amazing hope and joy and then returning to his father and giving them that, that, that amazing great commission. We read it last week. Let's look at it again. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, go and be fishers of people. Go and make disciples. Go to all nations. It's Jesus saying that there's a huge sea out there, a wide sea full of people who need me. You need my love, go and fish for them. Go and tell them. Go and show them what it means. And I've, I've, I've been reading through Acts recently and uh, it's just amazing to see 
kind of the transformation of the disciples from where they kind of start in this passage here all the way through to these they become really confident bold proclaimers of Jesus and they are filled with the Holy Spirit and they preach and reach out and they do good and they heal and many come to the Lord many are rescued from the, the dangerous seas but by chapter 3 of Acts the religious leaders are not happy they call Peter and John to their council and they, this is Acts chapter 4 they called them in again and commanded them not to speak and teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I love that verse. It's like we, that, Peter is naturally a fisherman. His voice grew up. like, I can't stop doing that. I, I, I cannot stop speaking about what I've seen and heard. It has changed everything. I cannot keep silent. It's a great example for us, isn't it? Maybe that's the, the spirit we, we will pray for, for Jim this week as he goes to share the gospel in Loughborough. To, every opportunity to, to share that news. And for all of us, we do these things. We follow Jesus' example, like the disciples. And there's two principles, actually, we see, even back in Luke chapter 5, that they, they still do all the way through. They, they teach the word of God. That's what the passage starts with, isn't it? Jesus is the one preaching the word of God, teaching those who had come to listen, and the apostles do exactly the same thing. They preach the truth about Jesus to the crowds and the individuals they meet. And the Holy Spirit works through these truths to convince and convict people and bring people to Jesus. God uses his word to reveal the truth of the gospel. And they also trust his power and his authority. He shows that in chapter 5, doesn't he, of Luke, when he leads Peter and the others to this huge catch of fish. From that moment, they like, this man can be trusted. This man must be listened to. And they know it's his greatness, not their own. It took a while for them to learn that lesson. But actually, it was less about them and more about him. But they got there. And they live that out. And you see that in Acts. Whenever they're praying for people, whenever they're praying for healing, for example, it's done in Jesus' name. It's not their own power. It's not about their own goodness. They're about making Jesus great. They call people to trust Jesus. He's the Lord. He's the one with the authority. He's the king. It's not about their own greatness. Well, it's been 2,000 years or so since then. Lots has changed, hasn't it? But actually, the mission he calls us to as his disciples hasn't we're called to be fishers of people we're called to go into the world with compassion with with a desire to help people who are floundering in sin with that conviction that actually jesus can rescue them jesus can bring life i hope you've been finding that that series in our home groups this this faith fruitfulness on the front line series where we think about being essentially being effective fishers where god has placed us we have that in mind as we spend time with people who, who don't follow Jesus? Do we have a desire to offer rescue, to offer the, the hope of life, the, the difference that Jesus makes to us? Do we have that attitude like the disciples that, that we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard through our relationship with Jesus? Something for us to pray about and think about as a church. One of our key areas this year is thinking about personal evangelism. How do we do this as individuals and then encourage the other church to share Jesus with other people? 
We've been rescued. We've been saved. We know the love of Jesus. We know his sacrifice. Do we want that for other people? Now, look, I, I know when I hear that sort of application uh, in the past, I just feel that sudden pressure. You feel heavy doing that. Oh, man, I've just, every conversation I have tomorrow, whoever it is, I've got to try and squeeze the whole gospel in. I've just got to kind of crowbar it in uh, as much as I possibly can. And then you feel bad that maybe you didn't say everything you possibly could. Well, again, that's not, that, that's not exactly right, is it? The, the Frontline series, we've been thinking about how it's, there's much more to it than that. It's how we live. It's how it comes out in our ordinary patterns of life. And then how, what we say when we get the chance. And it's not that we have to sort of shoehorn it into everything. We, we want to genuinely love people and show them that, that compassion. So I encourage you just to trust his grace with that. To not kind of feel that, that incredible burden you've got to say everything at once, but just to, 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 to make the most of every opportunity he gives you. Do that honestly, do that humbly. Share Jesus with other people. Because if you think about it, well, I don't know. I don't know how many of you came to follow Jesus, actually. Uh, if you are indeed following him. But I'm sure at some stage it involved someone telling you about him, telling you the truth. I'm sure that, that happened at some point. Are you grateful? Are you grateful for that person, for them stepping out in some sense and telling you about Jesus? Wouldn't it be a privilege to be a part of that story for other people? Uh, what an honour for someone else, you know, in years to some, That moment when they shared Jesus with me, that changed everything. And actually, I've, I've got a question for us for the tea and coffee time. I'll put it on the back table, which is basically, who told you about Jesus? Why are you grateful? Why not encourage someone else with, with a story like that? Well, before I finish, maybe you're here today and I've been talking about disciples, all this stuff about disciples, and you're not a disciple. You're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe God's been speaking to you today through his word, through the service. And going back to the language of the passage, I wonder if you're aware of that reality of the, the deep, dangerous waters that, that, that you're swimming in, that, that without Jesus there is no hope. And actually sin's consequences are incredibly serious. So it felt right to kind of close with that, that offer of rescue, of forgiveness, of life, of hope. That when we come to Jesus, if you turn away from your sinful life and, and receive his forgiveness, uh, it's amazing to receive life and hope. You can pray right now. You can talk to someone after the service. We can explain what that means more. But let me encourage you. It's the best step you could ever take. It's a great, a great passage. And I hope it's just been an encouragement for us to think about, A, what it means to be his disciples, but also that encouragement to, to be fishing for people, to, to be sharing Jesus with others. Let's pray, shall we? That would be the case. Father God, uh, thank you for providing that miraculous catch of fish that, that began to show Peter and the others who you were. Thank you that they dropped everything and followed you. Lord, would you help us to do the same? Would you help us to honour you with our lives? Would you help us not to treasure anything else first? Would you help us to come humbly, recognising our sin? And would you, by your power, help us to be fishers of people, that we would uh, make the most of all the opportunities you give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.